Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you're listening to this message today, then Pastor Jim just has one question he wants for you to answer. Are you confident in what you believe? If that's faith in God, then you're in the right place. And if it's not, then you're in the right place. It's interesting. Pastor Jim says that so many other religions reference Jesus. You don't find that kind of influence in the Bible, but you see it in almost every other false religion. So what do you believe, and how confident are you that it'll cover you in grace? Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelations chapter 3 as he begins his message, Jesus' special love for a very strong church. Well, let's just imagine for a moment that Jesus comes back to earth and he's engaging in a discussion with a bunch of people on the church Many people might be surprised at some of the things that Jesus might say. The moderator might say something like this to Jesus. Well, Jesus, do you agree, as most Americans do, that going to churches or being part of a church is, is really not all that important? Jesus' answer would be very quick. I died on the cross for the church. It's very important. Jesus, do you, another question, Jesus, do you agree that all religions are the same. Well, actually, no, I don't. That's why I, I, God, became a man and lived and walked among the people of this earth. Well, Jesus, how about this one? Do you believe that all that matters is we just get along? And Jesus would say, well, don't get me wrong, getting along is important, but when it comes to talking about me, there's going to be a wide divergence of opinions. And in fact, History has shown that some of my followers have been persecuted for following me. Okay, Jesus, okay, okay. We're not really getting anywhere. Let's get to somewhere where we can find some agreement here. Uh, Jesus, let's discuss something that you know, we all agree on, that big churches are stronger than small ones. Jesus might look and say, I don't mean to be rude, but have you read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3? because you would know the answer to that question. As we've seen, and we're now at the sixth of the seven churches, the, the big churches were compromised, and only two smaller or seemingly weaker ones weren't. So, Jesus, are you saying that smaller is better? Jesus might answer, well, not necessarily. But what I am saying is that sometimes that churches that appear to be weaker are often stronger. For example, he might say, last week we looked at the church of Sardis. Big church, lots of activity, strong in their own sight, and Jesus said to them, you're dead. You're dead. But they had everything you could imagine. It was, they were like a theme park. We have down south, we don't really have them up here, but down south, they got churches, they're like theme parks, you know. And Jesus is like, no, nope, you're dead. This week, we look at the church in Philadelphia. They looked weak. They didn't seem to be a big church. But Jesus says they were strong. And so I've entitled today's message, Jesus' Special Love for a Very Strong Church, in our series entitled, Christ Timeless Messages for His church. And if you feel weak, maybe right now you're just in a 
time of your life when nothing seems to be going right, you don't seem to be feeling strong, you're at a crossroads, you don't know what to do, Philadelphia is the church for you. Now, Philadelphia in Western Turkey was, in the first century, was a very prosperous city located on trade routes, very strong in agriculture, particularly in the growing of grapes. And what do we get from grapes? Wine. How how does some of you know that right away? (laughs) That's what I want to know. And uh, so a lot of the people there worship Dionysus, the goddess of wine. So maybe some of you worship her, and if you do, I want to invite you to our Monday night recovery group. (laughs) to uh, get you away from her. Yet this small church endured and stood like a strong tree in a hurricane of difficulty and persecution. They were a deeply rooted church. We talked last week about the church last week at Sardis. They were a mile wide but an inch deep. This church was a mile deep. And the Philadelphian church will see In this church, we see that God is more interested in faithfulness than so-called success. We have a definition of success. God doesn't often agree with it. And everyone is needed. Everyone is a part to be played by everyone. Even, you know, sometimes people are watching online and and they're home and they're they're praying for us. Maybe they're sick or something like that. and, And, you know, they'll just every once in a while drop me a note and say, sorry, I haven't been around as much. And but I want to let you know that I am praying for you. And I actually feel their prayer sometimes when I don't feel very well. You know, I just, I'm like, wow, there's there's something keeping me or propping me up here. So Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to these seven churches. We come to church number six now. And the outline, if you had a program, uh, the outline point number one is the Christ. The Christ. Verse seven, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now that... uh, is the Greek word that means brotherly love. That's actually what Philadelphia means. And so we have a Philadelphia here. Have you ever felt the love down there? No. How many of you have been to Wildwood? Yeah, I lived a summer in Wildwood, and and a lot of those people are from Philadelphia. And I'm like, they left the brotherly love back in Philadelphia. (laughs) Especially if you go over to the boardwalk late at night, it is scary over there. I mean, it's funny. If you go now, if you're, if you're thinking, "Oh, we're we're going to vacation in Wildwood this week," go to the Crest or go to North Wildwood. I lived a summer there, not the center of town. That's fine, but I mean, that's where the people like jumping off the roofs into the pools, and sometimes they miss. It's really not a cool. It's not a cool scene. And so, so Philadelphia is interesting, but that's actually what that word means. It's not a nickname. We 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 have nicknames for a lot of our cities, don't we? For example, we live, if you're watching online, you may not know this, we live right outside the rotten apple. I mean the big apple, I'm sorry. <laughs> New York City. So Jesus says, write these things. These things, he who is, says, he who is holy, Jesus says about himself, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and no one opens. So Jesus describes himself with three titles from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. If you've been speaking to a Jewish person, much more respectful to call them the Hebrew Scriptures, which is important because, as we're going to see, they're being persecuted by what Jesus will call fake Jews. First, Jesus says, he is he who is holy. Some of your versions say the Holy One. Do you know what that is? That is the Old Testament name for God. So Jesus says that's who he is. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am 
God. A lot of people will say, you know, Jesus never said in the Bible that he is God, and your response should be, actually, he says it quite often. It's just, you just, he's not saying it in a way you, an American, might want to hear it, but he's definitely saying it in a way that they would understand it. For a follower of Jesus, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, thanks for coming or thanks for listening, this is very important when you think of Jesus being God in terms of what some of them are going through in some of these churches when you suffer or when you experience persecution or you experience ridicule for your beliefs. God has a purpose in your suffering. It may not be clear to you at the time. You may not see any good, how any good can come out of it, but there is a purpose in it. And when he says to be the Holy One, that declares Jesus Christ to be pure and separate from the rest of creation. And because of the cross of Christ, in God's eyes, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are considered in God's eyes, okay, to be perfect. Your sin is taken from you and put on Jesus on the cross, and his holy righteousness is taken from Jesus and put on you. Did you ever hear the expression, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder? Sometimes you'll, you know, I can remember I was talking to somebody expecting a baby soon today, and I can remember just holding my kids and thinking, they're perfect, they're perfect. I don't think that anymore. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, God considers you to have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's the funny thing. The world missed it, but the demons didn't. And that's really an interesting thought, isn't it? I'll just read a text to you, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So that's not only saying how wonderful Jesus' teaching was, it's saying how lame the teaching they were used to was. Verse 23, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? So he's a man, but he's got multiple evil spirits or unclean spirits or demons in him. And then they say, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. You're God. We know it. Next, Jesus says about himself, he who is true. What is he saying? He is the true God-man. He is the true Messiah. He is the true Savior of the world. To stay strong in the faith, it's very important to constantly remind ourselves of these things. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is dependable. Jesus is reliable. Now, let's go back to our moderator and saying to Jesus, Jesus, can you make that simple for us? Jesus might say something like this, I am not some fake God. I'm not a fake God. I don't make fake promises to you. If I tell you I'm going to do something, we've been seeing this on Wednesday night, like God does not lack power over our sin. Our sin will not stop the promises of God. Jesus is basically saying, listen, I am not some lying politician. Have any of you heard that some politicians lie? They do. Jesus is saying, I'm not not the guy who makes a bunch of claims just to make you feel better. That's certainly not true. I'm not offering you some identity that will fail. I am offering you an identity that will get you through this life and through all eternity. 
If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, again, I'm glad that you're here today. I have a simple question for you. What do you trust in and how confident are you that it will deliver as promised? Because a lot of things we think are going to work out great and they don't work out so good, right? But our confidence, what's my, you say, what's your confidence that it will for Jesus? Well, he defeated death. I mean, think about it. One thing that's interesting about Jesus is every religion kind of seems to import things from Jesus. They all talk about them. Like you'll see guys from all over, well, Jesus said, and Jesus said, and Jesus said, Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't refer to any of these other, other guys. But ask yourself, what are you betting eternity on? And we all need to ask that question, answer that question. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I just want you to think about it. So often we don't think about these things. Now, some people say, well, I, this is what I believe. I believe you just die, and you live, you die, you go on the ground, and that's it. Now, you've met people like that. You know people like that. You may be that person. Well, if you want to know if you have that conversation with me, I will just say to you, if that's true, then life is the cruelest thing you could ever imagine. If this is it, if this is it, this is the cruelest experiment you could ever imagine. I mean, all the pain, the sorrow, the difficulties of life, the get up, go to work, come home, eat dinner, watch a couple lame TV shows, wake up tomorrow, do it again. Oh, but it's the weekend. Okay, cut the lawn, <laughs> fix the gutters. Right? You know, take the kids out. You, know, you got your kids at the playground. They're having a good time. You're trying to fall asleep because you're just so exhausted or stuff like that. No wonder people are depressed. You're like, Pastor Jim, you're depressing us, right? <laughs> if this is it, First John chapter 5, verse 20 tells us about Jesus. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. He repeats that Jesus is true, and we are in him who is true. How? In his son, Jesus Christ, this is, or he is, the true God and eternal life. I think he just called Jesus God again. So let me ask you this question. Do you have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins? Do you have assurance of eternal life? You can have it. All you need to do is just to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus. What does it mean to turn to God? It's the word repent. It means just to say, God, I'm going this way, and you're just back this way, and I'm going to turn from the way I'm living my life, and I'm going to turn to you, and I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. It's important as we come to the end of verse 7. I want to read it again. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now, this term, the key of David, is actually from Isaiah chapter 22, written some seven, 800 years earlier than Jesus is speaking now, and it refers to the mop, the mop. Now, what's the mop? You're like, yeah, that's what I mop my kitchen with all the time. No, nope, that's not what it is. Others of you, you know what the mop is? Mothers of preschoolers, right? Jesus is the mother of preschoolers. No, that's not what it means either. Uh, the mop is the master of the palace. 
And that's what Isaiah is talking about. What is the master of the palace? The master of the palace is the one who controlled access to the palace and to the king. Jesus says, I am the mop. I am the key to heaven. Jesus says, if I open heaven to you, nobody can shut you out. So if anybody ever says to you, well, you know what, you know, your kind of people, you ain't going to heaven, not going to happen. You go, well, you can't shut me out. Only Jesus could shut me out. And he says, and if I close it, nobody can open it. What does that mean? That means if you're in and you want to get out or you think you did some stupid thing that God's going to kick you out, Jesus is like, no, not letting you out. I died for you. You are in. We're saved not by what we do, but by grace. So here's the reality. You cannot get yourself in. All that you do is not going to get you in. You say, well, you just just said we have to turn our and trust in Jesus, turn to God and trust in Jesus. That's a response to what Jesus has done for you. He did the work. You didn't do it. You're just responding. You're just receiving what is offered to you. But by the same token, you do some people with the hyperactive consciences, and some people have no consciences, but some people have a hyperactive conscience. You do one little thing, and you think, oh, my gosh, he's going to kick me out. Don't you think that the perfect life of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, him raising from the dead and sealing with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, if you're taking notes, don't you think that's a little bit stronger than some sin you may commit? I mean, some of you who have kids, do you kick them out of the house every wrong thing that they do? They'd have been gone a long time ago, right? And aren't you thankful God's not like that? So the risen Christ, the crucified king who rose from the dead, has essentially just told us this, I control the eternal destiny of all human beings. I either let them in or I don't. If they trust in me, I let them in. If they trust in anything else, I don't. Now, I'm curious, when Jesus makes a statement like that, what does that do to your spirit? Does that like make your heart like, right? Does that take your little Grinch heart and make it expand? Or are you kind of indifferent? Now, if your faith isn't real, probably not much. Probably not much at all. I hear stuff like that, and I'm thinking like, man, I love you more, and I want to serve you more. Because the reality is, is that true faith is connected to reality. I think a lot of people talk about like, well, I have a few ideas about faith. I'm like, what do you mean you got a few ideas about faith? Right? Faith is not thinking about faith. Faith is faith in a person. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed in, and faith in Jesus makes us more confident in Jesus. It's Christ and Christ alone that holds the key to heaven, or as we'll see, the, the new Jerusalem, he'll call it. So in other words, Jesus lets us in or lets us out, or keeps us out. Jesus is the door to heaven. Very popular verse at the Last Supper, Jesus said he's going away. Jesus said, I, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. And then one guy has a question. He's Thomas. How many of you know who Thomas is? 
Yeah, how many of you love Thomas? You don't love, I love Thomas. I love that guy. Do you ever have that kid in your class, like the teacher's like, looks at the class and says, did you all understand everything I just said? And everybody nods their head. Teacher turns around to the board and everybody goes, I have no idea what she was talking about. What's he doing? What's he talking about? And then Thomas raises his hand. Excuse me, teacher, I didn't understand that. You can always count on Thomas. Or some, maybe you're like, Thomas, raise your hand. Come on, come on. I love that kid. I mean, I would buy that kid lunch, right? Asking the questions. We didn't know what the teacher was talking about. So Jesus says this, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. See, he's looking for, give me some directions. Give me something to put in my phone so my GPS can take me there. And Jesus says to him, I'm the way. The way is a person. It's not a route. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Jim, you are still on point number one. I know. Why? Because Philadelphia is grounded in all the things that Jesus just told us about himself. And that's what made them strong. They were grounded in Jesus, not what they were doing. That takes us to number two, the commendation. And theirs is the longest of all the churches, and in some ways the most confusing. And Jesus says what's good and what he's done and what he will do. And in a way, Jesus is kind of so, he seems so excited at points, he, he kind of interrupts himself. Verse 8, he says, I know your works, and that's very common to what he's been saying. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. You might want to circle that because there's a lot of controversy over what that statement means, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. They think that there's a, it's a small group of people, right? They're not making, seemingly making a big difference, but he says, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. So, some of the other churches were a lot more, you know, compromising with the community. You come on in. Well, aren't you going to just lay all that Jesus trip on me? No, we're not going to really be like that, you know. Just come on in. We got a lot of events going on, a lot of fun stuff going on. You can, you know, it's a free country club. Come on in. Don't worry about it. You're going you're to like it here. But these guys weren't like this, and so it seems to be this pressure to deny Jesus, and they won't. And Jesus is just very excited about this. He's like, this is great, guys. You are, you are standing firm. You are letting the Holy Spirit work in you. Now, here's where there's a disagreement. A lot of Bible scholars disagree regarding the term open door. A lot of different views. I'm going to give you the two major ones. All right. One is now classified as the older view. If you've been around the church a long time, you're like, oh, no, this is the view I was taught. Well, that's what happens, okay? And the older view is this. The Apostle Paul would refer to opportunities to share the gospel with people as an open door. And so they're saying that Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an open door, even though you're a small church, to share with the, the gospel with the people in the community, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That makes all the sense in the world. The more common view today is tying it back to verse 7 by saying that door that Jesus has opened to you, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make sure because you have been faithful, that door will always be open to you and you will always have access to God. That's a door that no one can shut. So, which view is true? All I will say is I like both of them, so I'm fine with both of them. <laughs> 
Here, verse 8, Jesus starts with their works. What was their works? Consistent, obedient. Despite what appears to be a church that has little strength. Despite that they seem to have a lack of influence around them in the culture. They're not influencing a lot of people, but they're staying faithful. And Jesus says to them, I'm going to keep you, and the door will be open, or I will open doors for you to speak with other people. That could not be said of some of the other churches. Remember Ephesus? Great teaching. All their theological ducks in a row, which was something we want to shoot for as well. But they had left their first love. Not this church. They still loved Jesus, and they still loved one another. They were servants. They were hard workers in the kingdom of God, and they stood strong in what little strength that they had. Do you know that we have people who come to our church and leave, and you know what one of the reasons? I'll talk with them or I'll see them somewhere, something like that, and I said, oh, we miss seeing you, and you know what they'll say to me? Your church, it's not my church, but they'll just say that, your church is too serious about God. I'm like, thank you. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.